Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. Strengthening a muscle takes many things, including resistance, repetition, and varied application. Using the same moves with the same weights and a consistent number of sets gets the job done. Yet reliance upon a routine will eventually lead to a plateau and missing potential for more and better strength. And that ultimately can have consequences for the body as a whole. Does the same principle apply to training for anti-bias especially for police departments that utilize day-long programs for their officers? A recent study out of Washington University explores that question. Joining me in studio to talk about it is Calvin Lai, Assistant Professor of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Washington University. Calvin, welcome back to the program. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. In the weeks immediately following the killing of George Floyd in 2020, Demand for DEI, or diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and anti-bias training increased dramatically. Calvin, do you have any figures on what demand is currently like among law enforcement agencies, sort of more either locally or broadly speaking? Yeah, um, I think that generally, you know, we don't have like census-like records of exactly how high the demand for training is, but it it is the case that practically every uh, department in every kind of major metro area is offering some form of diversity training at this point. And is that a recent development or was that something that kind of existed maybe at lower lower percentages in the past and, and there's been some increase? Um, yeah, it has always existed in some form, but there has been renewed kind of focus or interest in it along with a, a, a bunch of different new types of approaches trying to get at training officers better on it. Okay. So then when it comes to this latest study that we were talking about, it suggests that typical implicit bias-oriented training programs that are used by most U.S. police departments are unlikely to reduce racial inequity in policing. What is it that led you to this conclusion? Yeah. So in our study, what we did is we uh, looked at uh, over 250 training sessions of police officers. And uh, we looked at how these trainings were changing officers' uh, beliefs, their motivations, and the type of behavior that they're reporting on the job, whether they were using some of these evidence-based strategies that we were teaching them. And what we found is that uh, officers often reported um, buying into a lot of the ideas that were taught into the training, but when it came to kind of following through in the way that matters in terms of what they're doing on the job, uh, we didn't see any evidence, at least uh, about one month later, that officers were actually uh, changing up what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Now, the implicit bias training programs that you were looking at specifically, um, which ones were you looking at? And are are those similar in some way to what non-law enforcement folks might be receiving in their workplaces? Yeah. uh, So we partnered with the Anti-Defamation League um, to evaluate their program, which is now known as the Managing Bias Program. Uh, 
the Anti-Defamation League is one of the kind of largest nonprofit educators about diversity for police officers in the entire country. Uh, in some ways, it is similar to the types of diversity trainings that uh, you might get as a you know part of a company or, or any type of organization. Um, the scale was often much larger as a whole day instead of maybe just a, an hour or a couple hours. And of course, it was kind of geared toward problems that were unique to policing, like what you might do on patrol. Mm-hmm. And who was involved with doing this research with you? Yeah, I uh, did this in collaboration with my uh, lab manager at the time, uh, Jackie Lisnick, who's now a PhD student at the University of Virginia, along with um, collaborating with uh, police department or departments and and the Anti Defamation League. And where were uh, where were the departments that you did this uh, this research on? Um, unfortunately, due to a memorandum of understanding, I'm not allowed to disclose. Uh, the department, or even the number of departments. Wow. Okay, so there's some opacity there uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah, and I think that there is, um, there's this kind of tension in terms of, you know, wanting evidence-based practice, uh, but departments worrying about liability and bad press, you know, if, for example, the results don't turn out the way that you might want, right, mm-hmm. to find that this training was kind of off the walls great, right, that, like, you might be giving your officers a training that is is less than ideal. So does that have effects then on accountability? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tension. Um, and so a lot of our work as researchers is kind of meeting departments halfway in terms of why this is kind of good for the greater good, why it's going to be good internally, mm-hmm. while still kind of protecting their interests in terms of, um, you know, getting splashed back for doing the right thing, right, doing evidence-based practice. So one of the other things with the study, you've mentioned the Anti-Defamation League. Um, one of the things that your study does is to talk about some of the shortcomings that exist in that particular program. What are those shortcomings, and are they common to other anti-bias approaches? Yeah. So a lot of the problems that we identified are um, things that are going to be common in police diversity trainings and are also common in diversity trainings in organizations generally, whether you're working in a company or school or whatever. Uh, One issue that we identified that is pretty common is the fact that um, they're pretty separated, compartmentalized from all the other kind of organizational reforms and initiatives. Many of us have had this experience of you go in you take the diversity training once a year, and then you don't hear anything about it. It's not reinforced from your bosses for a whole other year. And th- the same thing was kind of happening uh, in, the, in these department or departments. Um, another thing that we noticed that I think is a kind of continual tension is that uh, a lot of the training, which I think is true of diversity training generally, focus on raising awareness, on making you aware of the problem. Uh, but what we find from research on behavior change is that's not simply enough to know that the problem exists. You also need to be equipped uh, with the skills to actually do something about it. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the, the next generation of diversity training research. So what I'm hearing is that there's a lack of integration or incorporation of that awareness into operational things, like what has to do with the day-to-day um, tasks and duties that a person may have, whether it be a workplace that has to do with law enforcement or otherwise. Would that be? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So... Research-based is something that's, it's a term that's used a lot of the time. Um, And in some of what I was reading, uh, you know, the question came up for me, what does research-based mean? And 
is that sometimes a matter of not asking the right questions? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, particularly within policing, like a lot of um, things that we think of as good practices are based off custom, they're based off tradition, they're based off like, we just know that this works. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what, you know, evidence-based policing and evidence-based reform means is like, let's put it to the hard test, right? If If it works the way that we think it should, we should collect data and we should see if it works as, as it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here we're finding some evidence that, well, you know, even though all the great intentions are there, that it, it's not kind of following through in terms of the trainings doing what, what we might want them to do in, in changing police behavior. Mm-hmm. And it does seem that there is there's recognition that something needs to be done. Um, there's a, a 2021 article in Police Chief magazine that was called um, Addressing Implicit Bias in Policing. And it cited research from as far back as 2001. Um, And then the most recent citation was a 2017 article from Police Quarterly. Um, It did cite Project Implicit, which we'll we'll talk about a little bit later. But that 2017 Police Quarterly article cited things from back in the late um, 1990s. So the study that you have done with this recently published study, in the context of other research that's out there, why was this study pursued? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the the problems that's kind of common in academic social science is that we get all these great ideas of how to kind of change people's minds and how to change what they do. And they might work really well when we're testing them on undergraduates or we're testing them in a kind of carefully controlled lab environment. But then when you bring it out into the chaos of the real world, whether it be with police officers or schools or companies, and there's a lot of other, you know, we would call them variables, but a lot of other factors that, that might kind of make these things less effective than we want or at least less enduring because we don't get the kind of optimal conditions. Mm-hmm. And how can police departments learn from studies such as the one you've done? Yeah, so I think that there are two types of implications from, from our, our work, one of which is, um, that to just do better trainings, to think of, you know, think quite diligently about like if your training is kind of reinforcing some type of lesson, making sure that um, that police managers are reinforcing it, that's reinforced in hiring, promotion, and evaluation, uh, and 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 maybe to you know make these trainings more effective in terms of uh, uh, pushing like here's what you gonna you're gonna concretely do on the job. Um, so that's one potential implication. Another possibility is to think about you know maybe energy and and reform might be directed somewhere else where there is a better track record. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem within policing is that there aren't many easy wins, many low-hanging fruits of how to reduce inequity. Uh, so that's kind of one of the catch there, right? That there might be better reforms, but, but you know, we're dealing with a, a lack of evidence across many different domains. Mm-hmm. We need to take a quick break, but we will be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. I'm Elaine Cha. Now, before the break, we were talking about what it is uh, that can be done with the results of studies like yours at the departmental level. 
Um, what is your sense of, uh, of the results of this study actually affecting some change um, at departments? And does that, does that have anything to do with where those departments may be located? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, my hope is, you know, from kind of getting the word out about our work and, and uh, various other channels that, you know, departments do take this into mind, right, to demand more of uh, what um, what is kind of offered in these trainings and, and to really think more rigorously about what these trainings are doing to officers or not. Uh, in terms of, like, uh, where the departments are located and how that matters, one of the, the kind of key principles is that these trainings ought to be tailored to the types of um, uh, equity-related issues that officers are dealing with on the job, right? Mm-hmm. So the type of issues that you're dealing with in uh, a border town is going to be really different from a, a department that um, is uh, not, you know, not on the border, mm-hmm. right? So those are the types of things to kind of think about. And you can also think about that within the organization, that there, there, there are people who are dispatchers, or uh, people who are on patrol, or people who are managers, they're going to be dealing with different types of equity-related problems. Mm -hmm. So this is not limited to police officers. It involves everyone who is working sort of in that organism. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you have been quoted um, in a a WashU article about this study is that it's important to manage expectations about what can be accomplished in a single standalone training sessions, uh, training session, that is, whose expectations are we talking about here? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I would argue almost all of us. Um, so when we think about what these diversity trainings can do, we kind of think of them as this kind of black box that might kind of create change. But at the end of the day, you know, these diversity trainings are just a form of teaching. So, you know, what do we normally expect from an hour or a day of teaching? Usually we don't expect that much, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when I teach my undergraduates, I'm happy if they remember stuff, uh, you know, one month later for the exam. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to kind of set our expectations accordingly that, like, one day of teaching is not going to, you know, totally change everything overnight. Um, but that doesn't mean it's worthless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, it, you know, we should kind of set our expectations accordingly. And then there's something that you had also said about all or none thinking, around the effectiveness of implicit bias training. What do you mean by that? And who tends to hold that zero-sum notion? Yeah. I mean, um, it, it doesn't take that much Googling to find that there, there are so many of these articles that are like, does diversity training work? Do implicit bias trainings work? So I think a lot of times we think of it as a yes-no proposition. Um, but I, even in our own study, we found some ways in which the trainings were incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. If you teach officers about bias... They are believing it uh, for for uh, at least a month later, and other data shows that oftentimes, you know, you teach people about something, and they learn the facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, on the other hand, right, it's not uh, we're not finding great evidence in terms of actual behavior change, and so that's what I mean about moving away from just a yes no mm-hmm. and more of like thinking about what types of outcomes do you care about, and does the training kind of hit those outcomes? And can you provide an example of something that has been successful? Uh, a type of training that has been successful? Yes, or, or some aspect of this, um, the training that affects the way people are thinking, you know, increases their awareness and that has, I guess, more sort of a, a, a stick to it? Yeah, yeah. So um, in our particular study, officers 
became more knowledgeable that bias was affecting their their day to day decision making, uh, and at least temporarily they were they became a lot more worried about it. Right? They reported, "I want to use some of these evidence based strategies on the job to um, actually be more equitable." The the problem is that you know it's kind of like watching a great movie or documentary. You know, you start to kind of forget about that initial motivation that you had a couple of days later. Is there anything to zero sum notion? Um, and then you've talked about as far as the the way that you lose as you get farther away from the lesson, um, things that are important that are really unique to police departments and features of law enforcement culture. Yeah, I mean. We don't have direct data, but I think that like one of the things that um, is going to be different from, say, when you're doing a training in a police department, say, compared to, um, uh, you know, like a, a university, is that there's just going to be a lot more resistance up front um, at many different levels of the organization. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times the types of things that you want to teach or educate about are, are probably ones that are more, you know, some of the kind of basics compared to, say, if you're if you're talking to a bunch of folks that are already kind of on board, that have already done a lot of their homework, have learned about this on their own time, and they are more interested in how do I cre- you know create more social change within my organization. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to meet people at where they're at. And mm-hmm. so when it comes to training and policing, right, a lot of it is kind of uh, just uh, establishing that we all have the same goal here: better policing. I think it goes uh, that we should say that one of the things people think about immediately when they think about anti-bias training is how it affects or does not affect um, fatalities and shootings. So can these kinds of studies, like what you are doing now, help us understand how police come to a decision about you know, whether they do draw and fire um, and you know how implicit bias is playing a concrete role in these kinds of encounters? Yeah. Um, so in terms of, so I think there are kind of two parts, like, you know, what's the kind of relationship here in general in terms of bias and, and these types of fatal shoots? And um, does, does training kind of affect that? Um, I think that there is really great um, or kind of robust evidence that, yeah, certainly bias is going to matter. It matters in terms of how officers might choose to kind of escalate, to kind of get into one of these situations where it becomes a shoot or no shoot decision. And we also have uh, great lab-based simulations to find that, you know, when it comes to these kind of split-second judgments, that racial bias is kind of implicated in uh, whether an officer might decide to shoot or not. Mm-hmm. In terms of whether we can uh, establish that trainings are affecting those kind of uh, fatal uses of force, uh, unfortunately, statistically, it's incredibly difficult because uses of force, uh, and particularly fatal use of force, is just so rare that finding a relative change is just very statistically difficult. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, using uh, types of outcomes that are more common, say arrests or uh, stops, there we, we, I think there's more promise in finding that we could actually affect change on these kind of more common types of outcomes. Mm-hmm. In this last minute, can you talk about what it is about the work you're doing, you know, studying the effectiveness of anti-bias efforts among law enforcement? Why it is important beyond merely academic or scholarly endeavor? Yeah, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, um, much of um, establishing uh, greater 
equity in policing involves figuring out what are the types of reforms to throw our money and energy at. And the reason that I think our work is so important is that at least it, it adds this conversation about here's what we know, here's what we're kind of buying into when we sign up for this particular type of reform. Mm-hmm. Calvin Lai is an assistant professor of psychological and brain sciences at Washington University. He spoke with us about his recent study showing that day-long implicit bias-oriented training programs commonly used by most police departments are unlikely to actually reduce racial disparities in policing. Calvin, thank you so much for coming in today. Great. It was a pleasure. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.